Hi, this is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ. We thank you for joining us as we gather together again to study God's Word. Today, we're going to take a look at Psalm 115, one of my favorite psalms, as it points out that we need to give glory to God, not unto us, not unto us, O Lord, but unto your name give glory, the psalmist begins. Open your Bible with me, and let's learn together why and how to glorify our God. What should be the bottom line in my life? When the race is over and the finish line is crossed, how should I measure the victory in my life? Should I measure it with my possessions? How about my positions? Or my power? My posterity? Do you notice the common denominator in all of those things? Me. When I use as the standard of measure things like wealth and power and fame and family, I'll spend most of my time focusing on me. But Psalm 115 and verse 1 provides us with a different picture. The glory is not to be about me. The glory is not to be about us. Psalm 115 and verse 1 says to us, Not to us, O Lord. Not to us. But to Your name give glory. That may sound a little odd to us, but this is where the measure for our victory lies. Not in how much glory we receive for ourselves throughout this life, but in how much glory we bring to God throughout our lives. God is the one who is to be glorified, not me. God is the one who is to be glorified, not you. God is the one who is to be glorified, not this congregation. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name. Give glory. That's the measure of victory. And there will come a day when all that matters to us is how much glory we've brought to the Lord. Sooner or later, that'll matter. I say we need to make it sooner. Psalm 115 provides great lessons for us regarding why God is to be glorified and how we ought to glorify Him. And I'd like for us to look at this about how to bring God the glory. But before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer? Blessed are You, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and You exalt Yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from You, and You rule over all. And in Your hand is power and might. And it lies in Your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now therefore, our God, we thank You and praise Your glorious name. 
But who am I? And who are these people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from You, and from Your hand we have given You. For we are sojourners before You, and tenants as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided is from Your hand, and all is Yours. Father, these words of David's prayer so long ago rings true in our hearts. We struggle at times wanting to bring glory to ourselves, but we recognize that all glory and honor belongs to You because Yours is the power and the dominion forever and ever. Father, we pray that You strengthen us as we learn from Your Word how to glorify You. We recognize that in these finite bodies and with our finite tongues, finite language, finite ability, that we can never offer the honor and glory and praise that You truly deserve. And we are so thankful that You accept what we do offer. Help us to grow, Father. Forgive us where we've fallen short in glorifying and honoring You. Strengthen us today to learn from Your psalm how worthy You are. Father, we praise Your name. Through Your Son, whom we also praise, we offer this prayer. Amen. Psalm 115, beginning at verse 3. But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them, every one who trusts in them. The very first thing that we learn from these verses from this psalm about God being glorified is that we've got to acknowledge Him as God alone. Jehovah is God. These idols are not God. And he compared and contrasted these idols. They couldn't do anything. Men went out and made them and painted them and had to nail them down so that they wouldn't fall over. There's a great passage in Jeremiah chapter 10. I just want to drive this home for you. Read Jeremiah chapter 10 with me, beginning in verse 1. In Jeremiah chapter 10, beginning at verse 1, the Scripture there says, Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, Do not learn the way of the nations, and do not be terrified of the signs of the heavens, although the nations are terrified by them. For the customs of the people are delusion." Because it is wood, cut from the forest. The work of the hands of a craftsman with a cutting tool. They decorate it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers so that it won't totter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field are they. And they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them, for they can do no harm, nor can they do any good. Verse 6 provides the contrast. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name and might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? Indeed, it is your due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. But they are altogether stupid and foolish and their discipline of delusion. Their idol is wood. 
Verse 9, Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Euphaz, the work of a craftsman and of the hands of a goldsmith. Violet and purple are their clothing. They are all the work of skilled men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure His indignation. Verse 11, Thus you shall say to them, The gods that did not make the heaven and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. It is He who made the earth by His power, who established the world by His wisdom, and by His understanding He has stretched out the heavens. When He utters His voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and He causes the cloud to ascend from the end of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings out the wind from His storehouses. Every man is stupid, devoid of knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his molten images are deceitful and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of mockery. In the time of their punishment, they will perish. The portion of Jacob is not like these, for the Maker of all is He, and Israel is the tribe of His inheritance. The Lord of hosts is His name. That is our God, and He is God, and no one else is God. Nothing else is God. We cannot make God. And we have got to recognize that we are not God. We've got to acknowledge Him as God alone. Amazingly, in our modern time, the pagan gods and goddesses are making a resurgence in the so-called New Age movement. But I highly doubt that anyone here is tempted by those. Yet there are gods that folks follow today. Sometimes even Christians are called away by them. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18 says, For many walk of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Their God is their appetite. Their God is themselves. What I want. What I feel, what I think, what I like, that's what I'm going to do. And while they might with their lips pay homage to Jehovah God with their actions, they demonstrate who is their God really. We're not like Jehovah. We must not follow our own appetites as God. We must acknowledge Jehovah. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. Or perhaps your translation says covetousness, which amounts to idolatry. How many follow after the things of this world? They're distracted by the things of this earth. The cars, the houses, the clothes, the computers, the appliances toys and the games and the entertainments. Think about all of those things for which we scramble and which we strive to attain and bring to ourselves. What can they provide us? They're nothing. Like the idols of old, they're made with our hands. What can they really do for us? Nothing. And remember what the psalmist said there in Psalm 115 and verse 8. 
Those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. When we put our trust in that which is not God, in that which is dead and lifeless, He says that's what we'll become. God deserves the glory because He is God and we're not. The second thing we learn from Psalm 115 about giving God the glory is that we need to submit to His sovereignty. In Psalm 115, in verse 3, it says, But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. And then in verse 15, He says, May you be blessed by the Lord, Maker of heaven and earth. This God who alone is God is the Maker. That means He's the Ruler. He has the right to do with this creation of His as He pleases. And we're part of that creation. He is the sovereign King and ruler of this world and this universe and of us. And we need to submit to His sovereignty. We submit to His sovereignty first by doing things His way. I think about the prayer that Jesus gave as an example in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. In that model prayer, Jesus said, Pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How can we pray this prayer if we won't even allow the kingdom of God to come into our hearts or allow His will to be done in our lives? I recognize, of course, that We're not going to pray this prayer in the sense of the kingdom being established. But in the sense of spreading throughout this world. And yet, where must it begin? Right here. Luke 17.21 says, The kingdom of God is within you. If I won't let it enter my heart and let God have His way with me, and let His will govern my life. How could I ever pray this prayer? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If God is our King, He's our ruler, we let Him, excuse me, we do things His way. But secondly, something I'm not sure we often think about, when we recognize that God is the sovereign ruler, not only do we submit to Him and do things His way, but we allow Him to do things His way without complaining. How often have we prayed and begged and pleaded for God to accomplish something and it didn't happen? And we got mad as though somehow God owed us, as though somehow because we prayed so long and so hard and with so much faith, we deserved it and He ought to have done things our way. He's the sovereign. He gets to do things His way, not ours. We've got to be just thankful that He even let us come into His presence and ask Him to do it our way. Psalm 37. Psalm 37, beginning at verse 7, provides great guidance for us. Psalm 37 and verse 7 says this, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. 
Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evildoing. For evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked man will be no more, and you'll look carefully for his place, and he'll not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. The psalmist here is pointing out that God doesn't do things our way. We've got to wait on Him to do things His way. And He assures us, God has our best interests at heart. Wait on Him. Don't fret because things aren't going your way and things aren't going in the way you understand. Let God do His things His way. Simply trust Him. Serve Him. Wait on Him. Submit to His sovereignty. The time will come when God will bestow His blessing on His people who waited on Him and will cut off the evildoer. But how many have cut themselves off because they got upset at God for not doing things their way and they left Him. They fretted, they got upset, and what did they do? It led them to evildoing. And now they'll be cut off. If we're going to glorify God, we've got to submit to His sovereignty. Back in Psalm 115, it also points out that we've got to honor His ownership. What a great statement is made in verse 16. Psalm 115 and verse 16, the psalmist says, The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth He has given to the sons of men. I recognize this passage says He's given the earth to us. But the point that we've got to understand is that it was His to give. That's powerful. All of this was His to give. Now let's modify that. Look at Psalm 50, verse 12. Psalm 50 and verse 12. There the psalmist quotes God as saying in Psalm 50 and verse 12, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. God has given the world to the sons of men, but not in the sense that it's now ours to do whatever we want to with. He's given it to us in a stewardship. It is His. He's the master. He's the owner. We're simply the servant who is supposed to use it to His glory, to His benefit, not to ours. We've got to honor His ownership. I think about Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. It's a long parable, and often we just refer to it. We don't read it, but let's read it today. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14. In Matthew 25 and verse 14, Jesus said, It's just like a man about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gave five more talents. Verse 17, in the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him in verse 21, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more talents. 
His master said to him in verse 23, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has, taken the, who has the ten talents. Verse 29. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. And he'll have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He'll sit on His glorious throne. God is the owner. He's the Master. And all this is simply given to us for us to use and make a return to Him. Not a return to us. Everything that you have God has blessed you with that. And one day you will give account to Him. And He'll want to know, what have you done with this from Him? So think about this. Your home. What return has your home made for God? I don't want to know about how much equity you've got in it and how it's going to help you with your retirement. I want to know what return for God has your home made. What about your cars? What about your abilities? What about your time? What return have we made with all those things with which God has blessed us to Him? Because He's the owner. And we need to honor His ownership. We need to trust His protection. In Psalm 115, verse 9, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He'll bless us. He'll bless the house of Israel. He'll bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small together with the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. He says, trust in the Lord. He's the shield. He's the help. He is the protection. And the point that he makes is, look, he has already been mindful of us. Look at what He's already done. And the Israelites could see it. I think at all that God had done for them. Deliverance from Egyptian bondage, bringing them into their own land, giving them a land that they really didn't have to work for. All that He had done. The psalmist says, He's been mindful of us. Remember that because He's demonstrated that He is our shield. He is our help. He is our protector. And brethren, we're in the same situation today. Look in Romans 5. In Romans 5, beginning at verse 6, Paul said, for while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5 and verse 7. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. 
But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Paul is saying there, God already sent His Son for us when we were sinners. How much more will He give us what we need now that we've been reconciled? (coughs) Excuse me. He's already been mindful of us. He'll take care of us. Trust Him, He says. Lean on Him. Romans chapter 8. Beginning at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we're being put to death all day long, we were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced, he says in verse 38, that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's he saying? He's saying God is our protector. He is our shield. We can trust Him no matter what is going on. No matter what is attacking us. No matter what's happening in our life. We can trust God doing things His way and He will take care of us. Think about a passage that demonstrates this. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and He'll add all these things. And yet how often How often do we not trust God's protection? And instead of seeking first His righteousness and His kingdom, it's as though we say to God, God, I love you, I'm your child, I want to be your child, but right now I've got to cover my bases first. And when I've got that taken care of, then I'm yours. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, He says. Trust His protection. He's already been mindful. He'll take care of us. And finally, we've got to bless His worthiness. The psalm in Psalm 115 and verse 18. But as for us, we will bless the Lord. From this time forth and forever... Praise the Lord. We ought to praise the Lord. 
Oh, how afraid we are to say those words. Sounds a little too charismatic for me, doesn't it? Why, if we just said, praise the Lord, that'd be a little Pentecostal. But from this time forth and forever, praise the Lord. Why? Because He deserves it. Because He's God. And we're not. Because He is the Sovereign. And we are not. Because He is the Owner. And we are not. Because He is the Shield, the Help, and the Protector. And we are not. Therefore, He is worthy of glory. And we're not. Revelation chapter 4. What a picture. In Revelation chapter 4, beginning at verse 8, can you just picture this in your mind as John is seeing this vision? There around the throne of God, these magnificent creatures. And then these 24 crowned elders... And in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8, the picture says, "...the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things and because of Your will they existed and were created. That casting the crown, do you see what they're saying? We're not worthy for glory and honor and dominion. And we're going to cast down any claim that we might have because, God, You're worthy. And we must bless God and praise Him because He is worthy. And what we've got to do is quit seeking and striving to bring the glory and the honor to us and start striving to seek to honor and glorify and praise God. That doesn't mean you're not going to do anything. That doesn't mean you won't progress on your job. That doesn't mean that you won't accomplish anything in this world. I'll tell you what it does mean, though, is that whatever you're doing will have its root and its basis in bearing fruit for God. John chapter 15 and verse 8. John chapter 15 and verse 8, Jesus said this, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. To God be the glory, because He's worthy. What's your bottom line? How do you measure your success and your victory? Let me assure you, a day will come, sooner or later, in which all that will matter to you is how much glory you brought to God. Let's make that day today so that when we stand before God in glory and give account to Him, 
we'll be able to give Him back more than He gave us and make a return to God be the glory. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to Your name give glory. What an awesome lesson we need to learn. I certainly hope this lesson has been helpful to you as it's helped me learn about how I need to glorify God. Let's remember what we learned. We've learned that we must acknowledge Jehovah as God. Secondly, we learned that we must submit to His sovereignty. Thirdly, we learned that we must honor His ownership. Fourth, we learned that we must trust His protection. And finally, we must bless His worthiness. God is to be glorified. If you've been given this lesson by a friend, let me invite you to go to our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Feel free to look at any of the studies we have there. Download as much information as you'd like. You can get audio sermons and also the manuscript form of those sermons. Use them however you desire in order to glorify our God as God. If you have any questions about God, about how to glorify and honor and praise Him, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, won't you please contact us by calling 615-794-2359. Or again, you can contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.